I'm going to use PowerPoint tonight, folks. I'm going to put some um, key verses on the screen. But I wonder sometimes if PowerPoint makes us lazy. Um, I would encourage you to have a Bible with you, either a physical Bible or on your phone or iPad, because when it comes to Bible verses, context is everything. You can take a Bible verse out and make it say whatever you want it to say. And so it's really, really important that you understand the context of these Bible verses. I'll try and explain it, of course. But you just need to check up in preachers to make sure that they're not making the Bible say something that God never intended it to say. So I would always encourage folks to bring their Bible in and, and just be checking up on the Bible verses. But I will throw them up on the screen. You can see that my subject for the next however many sessions that I have is the person and work of the Holy Spirit of God. I want to deal with this subject carefully, um, simply. I want to take time over the subject. And I want us to be free after meetings like this to be asking questions or ask for clarification. I believe the Bible's true. And I don't just mean it contains true facts. It's true when it speaks into our life. I really believe that. And I believe the Christian life is a real life. It's not just a life to be lived in sporadic bursts or in little compartments, but the Christian life is a real, radical transformation of the human nature to bring it into conformity with God. And none of these things happen without the Holy Spirit of God. And so we're going to read some verses as we go on. I'll maybe put them up here just now. Because everything I want to say has got to be absolutely anchored in the Bible. Sorry, that's, no, I think that's that one, isn't it? Everybody can speak of experiences. There's no question about that. I don't know about you, but I don't trust my experiences, to be quite honest with you, because I've been proved wrong so many times. So, particularly when it comes to the area of the Holy Spirit of God, we must be firmly anchored in what God has taught us in his word. And that's what we're going to do. Let me just say some preliminary things before we read some verses. Number one is this. Christians believe that there is one God and that God exists in three distinct persons. We're familiar with that. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Baptised in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's not that they're just a third God each. They're all fully God, but they're distinct persons. And we love to think of the Father character of God, don't we? The, the, the kindness, the compassion. So many people don't know even the... The, the love and care of a natural father. And so when we hear about the fatherhood of God, it speaks to us of his provision and his protection and his care. And we absolutely love that, don't we? We really love that. When we come to think about the son of God, we love to think about his love for us, don't we? And his sacrifice for us. Galatians 2.20. The son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And we spend lots of time thinking about God the Father. And particularly we spend lots of time thinking about the Son. And that's why we spread a table on the Lord's Day morning and take up with bread and a cup because he said, this do in remembrance of me. But we don't think so much about the Holy Spirit of God, do we? We just don't. We don't talk so much about the Holy Spirit of God. 
And there is a sense in which that is correct. Because as you read our Bible, we discover that the Holy Spirit, he particularly has a ministry to deflect attention from himself and onto the Lord Jesus. We'll learn that as we go on. But, but there is times, and it's probably good that we take some time now and think about his importance and his prominence and his activity and our absolute necessity for him. Now, if we make a mistake about the Father and the Son, it's either heresy or even blasphemy. Isn't that right? If we speak wrong of God and wrong of the Lord Jesus, we would consider it at best heresy and at worst blasphemy. But that's also true of the Holy Spirit. If we say wrong things about the Spirit and we represent them wrong, that is not heresy, it's also blasphemy as well. And the Lord Jesus would speak in a place about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So the truth about the Holy Spirit of God is absolutely vital and essential. It's important we get it right. It really, really is. Important. So that's what we're going to do in the next few weeks because we must cement in our mind the foundations of what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Right, we really, and, and the foundation for what we believe is the word of God, isn't it? Now, you guys know where I live. That area that we live was an old coal mining area. And when they built the houses, they, before they actually built the houses, they put a it's, a, it's a concrete raft. Every house is built on a concrete raft. And so the house is built on this raft of concrete. So if the, if the shift in sands or the, the earth moves, the concrete rafts, holds the house firm and stands. Our concrete raft and the shifting sands of our culture and Christian uh, worldview is the word of God. Isn't that right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the word of God first of all. And I want to look at this verse from Zechariah and it's chapter number four. It's an Old Testament um, expression. It's an Old Testament uh, declaration about the work of the Spirit of God. We're going to say some general things about it tonight. We must guard against attributing the work of God, a true work of the Spirit, to the devil. And people do that. God works by His Spirit. And people get so stuck in the mud and stayed in their ways that they say, because this is unusual and because it's out of the ordinary, that must mean it's a work of the devil. And if you go back to the 1950s, way back to the 1850s, when God worked in revival, many people were blessed and saved. There's many congregations of Christians missed out on the blessing that God by his spirit was given because they were attributing God's work to the work of the devil. And you remember in Matthew 12, that's exactly what they did with the Lord Jesus, didn't they? The Lord Jesus came and the Pharisees, the religious men, who didn't want to be shaken out of the religious orthodoxy, when the Lord did something unusual, they said, he's doing this with the power of a demon, didn't they? That was a dreadful thing to say. And the Lord treats that very, very seriously. And so we, me in particular, this has been a big challenge to me, we get very set in our ways, don't we? And we get to expect or we get almost to dictate to God how he's got to work and if God by his spirit chooses to work in another way or an unusual way we just throw up our hands in horror and say that can't be of God it must be of the we must guard against that error we absolutely must guard against that error we must be open 
to the work of God's Spirit. And that's one of the great truths we'll learn as we go through the New Testament. But we must also guard against the other extreme, which is attributing the work of the devil, the enemy, to God. Can you, can you see the difference? We must be open to the work of the Spirit so that when God works, we, we say it is God's work rather than the devil's. But you know that the devil can work in ways that people say, this is of God, this is God's Spirit. Now that's going to be particularly true in the last days. As we approach the end of time, and I suppose there's none of us here today are thinking that we're, any, uh, we're living in the early days. We're all thinking we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord, aren't we? We're all thinking that if it's not the last days, we're getting close to the last days. But listen, listen to the, the, what the Bible says. In the last days, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders. So in the last days, the devil will counterfeit by signs and miracles and lying wonders those things that people will attribute to God by his spirit and will actually be the work of the enemy. And we must be careful because, well, listen to what John says. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Now what he means by that is test them. I had my car in for a service and they fancy now they, they send you a video to show you what they're doing with their car and this guy had a, had a gauge that he was putting in my tyres to see if they were legal or not, right? And he says, well, this one's getting close to the edge. So what he was doing, he was testing and trying to see if it passed the test, right? John's saying this, listen, when this comes along and this spirit comes along or this person says this is a work of the spirit, he says, don't just throw your hands up and say, well done, I believe you. He says, try the spirits whether they are of God. Because listen to this. Many false prophets are gone into the world. Hereby ye know that the spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come and is now and already come and it's now already is in the world. In other words, not everything that claims to be a work of the Spirit is a true work of the Spirit. It's totally biblical to question something like that. Now you'll discover if you've been at all in circles where people are apostolic, if you know what I mean by that, and say they're doing a work of the Spirit, the one things these people don't like is being questioned. They don't like being challenged. They, they, they find it an affront if you don't trust them enough just to take what they say as true. And, and the Bible says, actually, do you know what? That's the very proof that they're not true if they're not willing to be challenged. So we must guard against that. But then the other thing is this. We must may avoid using the Holy Spirit as a tool for our own purposes. You know, as, as using the Holy Spirit to get what we want, Right? We want blessing, Lord, we'll use your Holy Spirit. We want prosperity, Lord, we'll use your Holy Spirit. We want, uh, we want popularity, Lord, we'll use the Holy Spirit. That's been happening right from the very beginning. In Acts chapter 8, there was a man called Simon. And when he saw the work of the Holy Spirit, do you know, he went up to the apostles and he says, I've got some cash in my pocket. I'll give you some money to have the work, to, to be able to do these things in the Spirit. And do you know what the Lord said? And what Paul said, he says, 
Simon, uh, Philip, Philip said to Simon, your, money's per your money perish with you. Because you thought that you could use the gift of God to be purchased with money. See, see he was saying, I want to use the Spirit of God for my popularity. I want my to use the Holy Spirit of God to make me prosperous. Uh, you know, he was trying to, we must never try to use the Spirit. We can never use the Spirit. The whole teaching of the Bible is this. We must allow the Holy Spirit to use us. That's the point. When it comes to the person and work of the Spirit, he is in the driving seat, not us. We never dictate to the Spirit. He always dictates to us. And we'll see how we do that. And one of the things I hope to try and show over the weeks that we're here is how we identify a true work of the Spirit. Uh, and I'll talk about that as we go on. So it's vital to understand what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And it's vital that we get it correct. And we must be careful to challenge those who claim they know better than us. Right? Okay? And that's what happens. I know better than you. you this is what the Bible says. What says the scripture? So that's where we're starting. What says the scripture. So let's read some important verses from the Bible about the Holy Spirit of God. We could have read hundreds of verses about the Spirit of God. God's Spirit appears everywhere in the Bible from the beginning to the end. Isn't that right? Genesis 1, who moved on the face of the waters in days of creation? The Spirit of God. When you get to the end of the Bible in the Revelation, where, what do we learn? The Spirit and the bride say, come. Okay? In Luke's Gospel, when the Lord Jesus is about to come into the world, I've did this little study recently, go through the early chapters of Luke's Gospel and just see how the Spirit was moving, preparing for the Lord to come into the world. The Spirit of God is everywhere in our Bible. But we're going to just pick two verses, one from the Old Testament and one from the New, just to put our concrete raft down about how do we understand the Spirit of God. So here's this. Look, look at this verse. It says this. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, and you think, okay, who's Zerubbabel? And you have to go back to the book of Ezra, and you have to read the story in the book of Ezra. Context is everything, right? The people of God, Judah, had been taken as captives to Babylon. They'd been there for a long time, but God allowed some of them to go back to Jerusalem to start to build the, the walls and the temple. And the, when the, the, the small group went back, they were really led by this man called Zerubbabel. And they got started to the work quite quick and quite good. But it wasn't long until the enemies decided to try and discourage them. And folks, you can see how easy that is to identify with. You, you know, when you first become a Christian, it's all enthusiasm and, and, and let's get things done quick. And you, you go all steam ahead. And it's not long before you've got somebody discouraging you, isn't it? And trying to pull you down. And what happened was the work of God stalled because of enemies discouraging. And so... After it had stalled for a few years, the Lord said, okay, I want the work of God to begin again. And so he sent two prophets. The two prophets are Haggai and Zechariah. So when you're reading that story, you need to read Haggai and Zechariah. And when you're reading Haggai and Zechariah, you need to know the story. Because context is everything. So this man's Zerubbabel. Zechariah comes to him in a time when things have reached an all-time low. 
And the work of God's not progressing. And the work of God is not moving forward. And actually, if you read the book of Haggai, do you know what it says in Haggai? The people of God were actually becoming quite comfortable. Do you know what he says? You're spending all your time building your own houses and you're neglecting the things of God. Now, me and you both know how easy that is, isn't it? Just to get so taken up with the world and not even the bad things of the world, just the legitimate things of the world, to put all our investment of time and energy into the things of the world and the things of God lies, well, maybe just give lip service. So God sends these two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And in Zechariah 4, the, the Lord is speaking to Zerubbabel, and this is what he says to him. Now remember, he's trying to encourage them to get involved in things, put their energy into the work of God. He's trying to get the work of God to move forward. And if you're like me, deep in your heart, you know that's what you want, isn't it? You want the work of God to move forward. In a personal way in your own life, you don't want to just be stale and static. You want to be moving forward all the time, don't you? And as a congregation, we don't want to be stale and static. We want to be moving forward all the time, don't we? And so the God sends the rubble, God sends Zachariah, it's an interesting book, a difficult book, but this is, pretty, this is pretty straightforward. This is what he says. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, say, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now me, I always used to think not by might or power was just repetition. Because might and power to me are just two words that mean the same thing. Strength, isn't it? Strength, might, power. And sometimes God emphasises a point by saying it more than once. Samuel, Samuel. You know, he's emphasising something. And sometimes God... um, But it took me a long time to see that God was actually saying something quite different to the same thing twice. He was actually saying two very distinct things. Here's what he's saying. Not by might. What he's saying... It's not by numbers, nor by power, that means strength, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. So what the Lord is saying is this, without the spirit of God, it doesn't matter how many of you they are, or how strong you are, nothing for me can be accomplished. The spirit of God's work is absolutely the vital ingredient to anything that, can be, that has to be done for God. Without him we can do nothing can we see how important I'm just trying to put a wee double underline under the importance of the work of the spirit of God so, so, so let's just think about that very carefully not by power power's just numbers that's what it means it's, it's, about, it's, a, it's a word that was used for big armies now Babylon had a big army a huge army, a huge army that overran Jerusalem, a whole army that could overrun Jerusalem again, and there was only hardly any of the Jews that were there. There was only a tiny remnant went back to Jerusalem. And so in terms of numbers, they were outnumbered absolutely, absolutely. And God says, listen, don't be fixed on numbers. I don't need numbers. Numbers are not the big thing. But you know what, folks? That's absolutely what most people think in Christian testimony in 2021, isn't it? 
They think numbers is the really big thing. Now, now we all like numbers. We don't like being in small companies. We all like big numbers. But God is saying this, listen, I don't actually need big numbers. Have you heard these things? Mega churches. I don't go there because it's, it's too small. And, and sometimes, sometimes people equate spiritual strength with physical numbers. Now, I know that we can do more when there's more of us. But you know what I mean? Just because a congregation is big does not mean it's a spiritual congregation. Big congregations are easy congregations to be part of, aren't they? Because you can slip in and slip out and not have to do anything. And the emphasis now is, what size is your church? I mean, have you ever said to somebody, I go to Bencham Gospel Hall, and the very next question is, how many have you got? I mean, that's usually the next question, isn't it? And you usually say, well, because everybody's embarrassed, because the whole atmosphere of the world says numbers. Number, no, Lord says, excuse me. They might have big numbers, but I don't need big numbers. I don't need big numbers. The other side of the coin is that, you know, small numbers doesn't mean you're spiritual, okay? And we can often retreat and say, God doesn't need numbers, so it doesn't matter if we're small. Well, folks, God doesn't need numbers, but it does matter if that's the attitude we've got. It doesn't matter if we're small. We should be looking to grow, shouldn't we? We really should be looking to grow and move forward, grow in our own life and grow in numbers. So it's not necessarily numbers that God needs. And then he says this, It's not by strength. It's not by might. It's not by power. It, force. And, and what, what, what the Lord's saying is, sort of bubble. listen, you've got all mixed up here. You're thinking just you're a small number and you've got a great enemy facing you and you're thinking that you're not strong enough to face the enemy. Listen, it's got nothing to do with natural force. It's got nothing to do with natural power. Nothing at all. It's a shame, folks, because we live in a day when people want power. Isn't that right? And I'm thinking now in Christian, Christian testimony, we want powerful preachers. Well, we do want powerful preachers, but you, you, know, the, you know the guys that strut about and make big noises and use big gestures and just use the, the power of natural means to impose something on their congregation. And they'll use all sorts of natural effects to powerfully reduce their congregation to a place where God, where they can use them to get, get what they want. Uh, they use power. Powerful techniques, powerful numbers, powerful personalities. You know, everybody wants a powerful personality, don't they? Listen to this. The major characteristic of a true servant of God is what? It's not power, and it's certainly not pride. It's humility. Micah 6. O man, what doth the Lord require of thee? Listen to this. What is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God? Strutting prideful preachers have nothing, no place in the work of God at all. Matter of fact, it's one of the identifying features of a false prophet, somebody that's elevated in pride. 
Beware of prominence and dictatorial personalities, folks. Prominent men with forceful personalities are invariably dangerous to the work of God. In, in, in the book of Third John, it's a little book. There's lots of things that can help us there. But in, in the little book of John, John names and shames somebody. You, you know, we're kind of reluctant to do that. And I don't think we should be always gunning for personalities. You know that? Yeah, I don't mean that. But there are times when you have to call people out. Isn't that right? And John's writing to in Third John, and he says this, you know what Diotrephes, you know that man Diotrephes that's in your assembly? Do you know what you have to do? He loves to have the preeminence amongst you. Receive him not. He won't receive us. Whenever you've got a dictatorial personality, you're really in, 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 in real trouble. So, what am I saying? Right from the work of God's point of view, numbers are not important, natural strength's not important, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. If God is working by his spirit, that's all that we need. That's really what he's saying. And don't get tied up with your numbers and don't get tied up with your personalities and don't get tied up with your physical strength. Just depend on the Lord by his spirit and he can work. And you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and you'll see what great things the Lord did by his spirit against ferocious opposition. So let's finish off with a with a New Testament truth. It's in Ephesians in chapter 1, and this is, I just want to finish with two points here from Ephesians chapter 1. This is what, Ephesians chapter 1, folks, it's like, if you fly in Africa and you fly up by Tanzania, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? You, 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 look, you look out, as you're flying north, you look out to the west and you see the mountain. What's the mountain called? Tanganyika. And this mountain stands above the clouds. And whatever height you're flying at, you can look out the side of your plane. And there it stands, gigantic, towering over everything else. Ephesians chapter 1 is like a towering mountain of truth, isn't it? It just, just stands so graciously and good. And we'll just pick a verse out, listen to this. And whom also ye trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation... By whom also, after that you believed. Okay? So, every believer, this is true of them. And we'll prove that as we go on. After that you believed. Or it means having believed. It doesn't mean that you have to wait. It just means having believed. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit of God, when you believe, seals you and becomes the earnest of your inheritance. Now, we'll explain those two words, but the word earnest means guarantee. That's what it means. So the Holy Spirit of God, nowadays, when a person is saved, comes into that person, is uh, takes possession of that person and because we have the Holy Spirit of God we are sealed and we are guaranteed and so one of the primary purposes of the Spirit of God in the days that we live is is to give us confidence in the work of Jesus Christ that's what it is so so let's think about those things I want to think first of all that when the, the Spirit of God makes an unbreakable promise Okay, he is the earnest of our 
inheritance. In other words, there's the promise of God that one day we will be with him forever. Let's think about this, folks. God's spirit is, a, is the guarantee for us that we're saved and we're safe. One of the pictures is the, is the, the engagement ring. Interesting, I know I'm going on a bit, forgive me, I'll be finished within a few minutes. Mary was called the wife of Joseph. Or Joseph was called Mary's husband before they were actually married. Because in those cultures, a betrothal, an engagement, was as unbreakable as a marriage. That was why Joseph got himself all in a fluster when he discovered that Mary was expecting a baby because it was a, a big, big thing. You couldn't, you know what, nowadays people break off engagements like they change metro trains at stations sometimes, you know. But in those days that wasn't that. A, a, an engagement, a betrothal, was an unbreakable promise. A promise that they were committed to each other and that would never, ever be broken. That's the word that's used here for the work of the Spirit of God. God gives us his Spirit as the promise of an unbreakable relationship between us and him. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But the second idea that's in that verse, sealed, earnest means the guarantee. And you know what a guarantee is? It's a promise. If it goes wrong, I'll fix it. Well, God's promise is not, if it goes wrong, I'll fix it. God's promise is it will never go wrong. That's the promise. This is unbreakable. This is our relationship that will never be broken. But the next part of it is this. The seal. Did you see it? It says this. He's the seal. You heard the word of the truth of the salvation and whom after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, we don't use seals now, but seals were used in biblical times and even after biblical times when somebody sent a letter or a decree the king or an authority would have put some melted wax down and then he would have a, a like a I don't know what it was it was called a seal it was like a bit of metal with his special impression on it and as the as the, the wax was soft he would push his seal into it so that his imprint became on the seal then when he took it out the wax seal would set and when the person received the letter, the seal on the letter said, it comes from the king. It was a mark of ownership. That's what it is. God gives us his spirit as his mark of ownership in us. I'm going to finish with this, folks. We belong to Christ. Lock stock and barrel let me read you some really powerful verses that have come to me this week in a, 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 a real way listen, listen to this in 1 Corinthians 6 Paul is talking about all sorts of terrible behaviour that's amongst the Lord's people they were basically just doing what they wanted right and they were doing what the book of Romans, we've been talked about that. They were, you know, book of Romans, people were saying, we're saved so we can sin and it doesn't matter how we behave. And the whole Bible says, wrong, 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 wrong. But the Corinthians were behaving like this and Paul writes to him, this is what he says. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. He that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? 
Know ye not that your body, now we're talking about our physical body here, is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which ye have of God and ye are not your own. Listen to this verse, folks. Ye are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And so when we became a Christian, God put his Holy Spirit within us and put his seal on his, seal on our life, and said, they don't belong to themselves anymore. These people belong to me. They're mine. Now, folks, how did he buy us? What did he pay? What did he do to make us his own? You know, and I know, don't you? Everything we are now to God is because of Calvary. Our life has been purchased by the precious blood of Christ, his life given on the cross. Now that says that we are loved and valued by God, that he would pay that. We do not have the right to our own lives, folks. We've been bought with a price and we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. God has put a mark of ownership on us and said they're not their own, they're mine's. But what does that mean? What does it mean that he's bought us and that we are his? What is there about us that God owns? Now please don't think I'm extreme or I've gone off in a bad one here. But if I read my Bible right, folks, he owns everything about us. Not just some things. He owns everything about us. Let me tell you some of the things I was thinking about this week. Here's what belongs to God now. Our plans belong to God, don't they? We take our life that we were in control of and that we had planned for and we say, Lord, that's your business now, not mine's. Now, maybe he'll take you along the path that he'd put in your heart, but it might be he'll take you along another path. And his, our life, our plans are his. He's got the Holy Spirit of God and he says, you're mine's. Listen to this. All our pleasures now belong to God, don't they? Ah, but Lord, you need to give me a wee bit of time here and a wee bit of time there. Uh, Folks, please don't misunderstand me. The Lord has no intention to make Christians miserable. Some of us are pretty bad adverts for Christians, aren't we really? Because we're miserable most of the time. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And all our pleasures we find in Christ, don't we? All our possessions belong to him now. He's bought them. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So our plans are his now. Our pleasures are his now. Our possessions are his now. And this came to me this morning. And and you'll need to forgive me. I was reading about David. And David was about to die. And he was taught, he was leaving instructions for Solomon. And he says, listen... I've acquired this great wealth. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give it all for the house of God. 
So if our plans belong to God and our pleasures belong to God and all our possessions belong to God, do you know what, folks? All our pennies belong to God as well. We don't talk much about Christian giving, and I'm embarrassed to talk about it, but we should remember that every penny we've got, and do you know what David says when he gives everything to Solomon to, to build a house? He says, actually, do you know what? I'm only giving you what God gave me in the first place anyway. Isn't that right? I don't have anything that belongs to me. If I've got anything, it's because God and his grace gave it to me. And that's a New Testament truth as well, folks. Listen, listen, to, what, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 and 7. Who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? You're not with your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which is Christ. And the Holy Spirit's work is to make us marked out as belonging to Christ. He says, you are mine. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And you're thinking, poor boy, a bit harsh you tonight, boy. A bit tough. We don't want that. We want something nice. And I'm reading at the moment Holiness, a book called Holiness by J.C. Ryle. Listen to what I read this morning. A religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. A cheap Christianity without a cross will end in a useless Christianity without a crown. Isn't that good? What he's saying is this were his and the Holy Spirit of God looked at the Old Testament without him it doesn't matter what else there is in our life if the Spirit of God is not at work we're just wasting our time but now we've looked at the New Testament and we've said actually the Spirit of God is there to, to make us his to work in our life to make us more dedicated to God and so as we go through the next few sessions we're going to go back again rewind a bit look at his person his identifying characteristics how he works how he worked in different times in the Bible how he works today and we're going to just build up this picture of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit of God but our first challenge is this is he real in my life is he do I have that guarantee in my life that I'm his and am I really living a life that belongs to him because he seals on me and bought with a price? May the Lord bless us. Let's just pray. Lord, these are big things, things that we struggle to understand sometimes. And we do pray that they might become more than just a knowledge in our head, but will become the reality of our daily life. We're grateful, Lord, for our time together. Pray for those who are absent from us and we look to thee to encourage and bless all and if we have a little refreshment now we pray lord that we'll take it with thanks in our heart to thee we give thanks now in the lord's name amen apologies folks